0: All right, well, Jacob, I have a question to ask you. Okay. I want to know what is the one thing that really drives your reading instruction?
1: Mm, interest. Okay. How is that? That's a vague answer. So it is. Uh, I don't know. My, I guess when I think about my reading instruction, my first, honestly, what I was going to say first was my model excerpts that we use and. You know, I shrink them down and we put them in the craft book and stuff like that. But I think overall, the the interest of knowing what can get kids talking, what my students like, so I can uh, do more pieces that uh, connect to what what they like. So I can bring in something that I know is going to fire them up. So if I can get them engaged in the text, then I know that we're going to have a great conversation. If I can have the great conversation, then I can get them to think a little bit more. I can have them write a little bit more. And then it makes everything else, uh, just a little bit better. It drives the whole process and it allows us to have, to, to, to have, to have a, a reading community that actually interacts I think that, I don't know, That that's my answer, I think I think it's that that piece right there
0: Well, with that reading community, we're going to go ahead and introduce ourselves I'm Pam Ochoa, this is Jacob Chastain And welcome to Craft and Draft We're here for you What else <laughs> are we going to talk about, Jacob?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I went blank I, uh,
1: You're good <laughs> You know, th- this idea, what we kind of wanted to talk about today was getting readers, reading something that's beyond what they would usually read, right? Getting them into something, different genres, because we, you know, if you have readers in your class, odds are they have kind of a favorite genre, favorite series, something like that. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I I feel like it's, it's just as challenging. Last week, you know, we talked about getting kids to write differently. I think it's just as challenging to kind of branch them out into new stuff or to take a non-reader and branch them out into books. Like when you inherited your kids this year, did you find that they had, uh, that they had reading preferences already?
0: Yeah, they did actually. Um, yeah they did. they 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 have certain books that they like. Uh, but mainly my my issue, I don't know if it's really an issue, it gets them to read, and that's the graphic novel, but they can't want to they just don't want to put it down. They would rather read graphic novels. And so even though I try to challenge them, they'll always pick up that graphic novel. Now, I'm not against graphic novels. I just want them to branch out. And so, I want them to be able to read text for long periods of time. The problem I have with the graphic novel, if you read it all the time, it there's it, just not a continuous uh, line of of reading of text. It's broken text. And so I think, even though it does lend itself for inferencing, which I do like that, because they do have to infer because there's a lot that happens between the lines that's not mentioned. In text, but at the same time, I think it's, I think sometimes it breaks up their reading and it, it causes them some misunderstandings.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, it's funny that we always use the example of a, of the graphic novel, right? Because it's it's kind of the obvious go to because that's what hooks readers the most, right? right. It's high interest, uh, low level usually. Now, some graphic novels are intense, and some of them can be uh, very rigorous, but that's not even the, the issue, right? The issue is the fact that they're stuck on it, the fact that it, right. they're, it's kind of like a one-size-fits-all. Now, I don't think either of us really subscribe to the idea that, uh, you know, everyone should read everything all the time, but, you know, I even though I have a preference, like when I'm reading fiction, you know, I love epic fantasy and stuff like that, but I branch out and I read... And I read mid-grade and I read sci-fi and I read biographies and literature and everything like that, but I don't do it all the time. Right. And that's, but it's a, it's a healthy reading life to be shown different things and to kind of get, get just having different experiences, right? That's really what this conversation's about. It's much less about don't read this, read that. It's no, we need to be as diverse as we can without destroying our reading lives. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think modeling is one way to get that done. If we do, mm-hmm. like you just mentioned, you read different things. So I think if the, when we sit down and have that time where we're reading with the students, if we pick up different types of books, I mean, we need to finish some of them. But I mean, but if we pick up different types of books, then uh, you know, I don't always finish my books, so <laughs> that's why I said that. <laughs> but uh, but I think it does help because the kids will say, so, "Well, so what are you reading, Ms. O'Char? Are you reading? What are you reading?" I had that just this last week. What are you reading? So, and I had a book I was reading uh, peeled at the time. So anyway, but that's what, that's one of the things that I found is if they see me reading a different, different sets of books, it kind of helps.
1: You know, I, I found there's two things I want to talk about with that. But, um, the first is I found that like the more variety of mini lessons I do, like, just showing different genres of other things. Because a lot of kids don't know what they like. You know, in middle school, right. you know, they, they've had reading experiences or they like certain books or something like that. But, you know, a lot of them just don't even know. Like, they think sci-fi is nothing but, like, spaceships and stuff. Like, they're uh, they're unaware of books like Scythe or Unwind or um, <clears throat> some, the, the books that, that take scientific ideas and really bend them in interesting ways or, you know the people might not be aware of how great certain books about sports might be, right? And and how it can really I told that story on one of the other podcasts about Mm -hmm. getting a girl interested in gym candy and she hated sports but then you know it's just the story about addiction and that that addiction uh was the the story driver so bringing in excerpts from that stuff and then getting kids hooked on something they might not otherwise have and then being able to go hey this excerpts from this book i have two right here who wants them you know what i mean and sometimes Mm -hmm. it, it connects and sometimes it doesn't but I think using that mini lesson as almost like a a constant book talk, right? Everything, not everything I show, but the majority of stuff I show. Yeah, I try to make it something that I can then go, hey, you like this? Here it is. Here's this book. Now I do a lot of poetry, so it doesn't work all the time. But I get, you know, I have so many kids like reading through the Poet X. I had to buy more copies of that book because so many kids were just passing it, all because I used it. In a mini lesson, same thing for Scythe. We read page one to analyze how they set up the setting, and then I had tons of kids reading Scythe, so I had to buy more copies of that. And it just it's just like this really cool process. Now, on the other side, I've also showed stuff where kids are like, nah, <laughs> I'm good, and, and it doesn't work. And I'm like, all right, uh, don't worry about that book. We're going to move on tomorrow. <laughs> Right. But this, uh, you know, that speaks volumes to the whole, because I feel like sometimes we, like, and when I say we, I mean just people who talk about this stuff in general. People can sound really dogmatic about this practice of, you know, giving kids choice and not reading just the same books that have always been read. And I think the reason why that's such a powerful thing isn't because the giver's bad or because, uh Outsiders are bad. Both of those are great books and stuff like that. and all the classics are good books. you know, no one's arguing that Great Gatsby isn't a good book. but when you limit the options of kids having connections to just five books a year, uh, you're limiting their reading lives. So when we have like this, very passionate approach to showing kids a bunch of books and getting a bunch of books in their hands. It's not because the canon itself is evil or whatever. It's just because there's, there's so many options that to stick to just the same seven books that have always been used. I mean, you're just limiting the, this diet of students. And it's just, it's just not, I don't know, to me, it just doesn't sound smart anymore. Like we have options. That doesn't mean you don't ever recommend those things. I mean, I think last year I did a mini lesson using the beginning of a tale of two cities to model, you know, that whole, that famous part, you know, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And I had mm-hmm. my kids use that as a model text. And you know, that book's probably been used a billion times in classrooms in the past several decades, but uh, I didn't stay on it. We used it for a day and we moved on.
0: Right. Well, one of the things about going to the classics, and uh, ju- I just thought of when you when you at least expose them to that, like the best of times, worst of times, you will find that that will the kids will be able to connect to other things because, like movies, uh, even comedies and uh, you know TV shows, they often will do a literary allusion to these types of of books, and then it just deepens the understanding of the things that they're watching. So I think I think the more literate that we can help, uh, help our kids become more literate by reading not just those, but also branch out to the new ones, right, uh, can really yeah. help our students. But I think it is about connections. I think it's, to me, I think that's probably one of my driving forces. You know, I ask you that, but making connections, I think, uh, is probably... One of my strengths, I think, helping students make those connections, showing them how to make connections. And I think if I can get them hooked by making a personal connection to a book, sometimes that that drives them. So uh, the other day I had a student, we were down in the library, and the student goes, because, you know, I like to say, okay, read whatever you want, but pick that one book. Or, or you know, I kind of dictate that one book, I guess, that's what I'm trying to say. So I'll say, you know, I'll give them a genre that I want them to do or find a book that challenges you. Find a book different from a genre that you typically read. You can't have the same type of genres. Two different books, but it's not the—you can pick your own books, but make sure they're not the same genre. So I do some of those things. And the other day, a student came up to me and she said, all I like is horror films. I mean, I mean for horror books. That's all I want. And I don't know anything about the rest of the library. <laughs> so she always camps out that one corner of the library. <laughs> so I went, and, uh, anyway, I think I, I shared with her um, Jason Reynolds book, oh, um, uh, what is it going down the elevator long way All of a down. Sudden I lost it, yeah, the long way down. And I thought she might like that book, And she came back and said, "No, this is good because it kind of ties, you know, it has that little, you know, horror type, you know, ghost type uh thing, right? Mm-hmm. Some kind of mysterious, you know, at each uh stop on the elevator. But the thing is, so that kind of was her interest. But then I turned around and, and we got her out of that genre because that's not a horror book. That's just a book to make you think. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, mean, I think Go ahead. No, so I think that that's one thing that I I kind of did. Uh, for her, and I think she started like this is a pretty good book. This is really, you know, and so she got really excited, and she read the whole thing pretty quick.
1: Yeah, Long Way Down, is such a great book. By the way, it's just it's so I've I've mm-hmm. almost never failed at getting someone hooked on it. You know, it's not too challenging. It's great content. It's mm-hmm. relatable to so many students. So uh, that's always a win. But yeah, that that whole playing to. Knowing genres, knowing how things can overlap, because, you know, I've I've said this before. I'm convinced so many boys don't read books because teachers ask them, hey, what are you interested in? And every elementary school boy is going to go, sports. And so they've been given, yeah, they've been given this diet, of these nonfiction sports books that are probably from the seventies in the school library. And that's all the, that's all boys kind of get to know is these kind of sports books. And then when they get, older you know they're reading where the red fern grows and they're reading kind of these quote unquote dead dog books and you just get like these imaginative (laughs) (laughs) these imaginative boys that are just kind of fed this standard diet and then you know all it takes is like one thing you know it back at like i remember fourth grade mr hansen he read Uh, Or fifth grade, he read us The Hobbits and he did all the voices and it changed my life. I was like, holy crap, I can read this. I don't have to read Hank the Cowdog. I can like go fight dragons and hang out with elves and Mm -hmm. stuff. This is dope. So that changed my reading life forever. And then like this generation, you know, a lot of them are like, you know, they read uh like Percy Jackson and they find books like that like the lightning thief and it changes their perception of what books are and it's mm-hmm. it's those but being able to talk to those kids about kind of being able to go oh you like Percy Jackson sweet now i have A few books that'll interest that I kind of have a library in the back of my brain like, okay, so maybe I can encourage them this way this way and then once I find out why they like it, maybe they like the adventure, maybe they like the humor, maybe they like the fantasy element. Like I've had kids come in loving The Lightning Thief, but they hate fantasy. They just like that book because they like the action. I was like, sweet. So now I know to push you in a little bit this direction. So I think this whole Mm -hmm. branching students out into different genres comes down Almost just as much as knowing who they are, but also being a strong enough reader to where you can kind of know the landscape and know where to push them rather than just being like, oh, well... You know, I love these books and you just kind of push the books that you love, but being able to adapt and be like, oh, I know other kids read these and it helps if you've Mm -hmm. read the books. I know we can't read every single book, but um, after a while you just kind of know and it's like, oh sweet, I got the next book for you because you like that.
0: Well, and also paying attention to what some of the kids kids are driven to. So sometimes if if you don't have time to read all the books, if you'll notice that that book is never on the shelf. It's always out, then that that would be one to remember for next year, buy a few extra or whatever whenever your budget comes around and make sure that's on the shelf. And what do you think about classroom libraries? Uh, what's your thought there? And how do I mean, they help? That helps genres.
1: I, my favorite thing, when I so when I became the literacy coach uh, at that middle school we worked at... <laughs> Oh, Scott! We always say that middle school. When we would middle school. When we were there, uh, my first thing that I looked at was the libraries. Right, I walked around and I was just kind of assessing. we you know, what kind of access. Do people have and a lot of teachers, you know They either don't have the means to do it or schools haven't been You know supportive of certain things. So you never know what you're gonna see In a classroom library. I mean, they were decent, but what I noticed Was that the majority of them were not categorized It's just books kind of on a shelf, right? And so one of the first hills I died on Was forcing this (laughs) This idea (laughs) Was uh, forcing the idea of genre a library. You know, there's uh, – I know you don't hang out on Instagram or anything like that too much, but libraries – I'm sure you've seen these before where libraries are kind of color-coded based on their spines. So it's like all right. uh, red and then it fades to yellow and to orange and then to black and all that other stuff. And it's a very nice rainbow and all this other stuff. And that's fine. It looks cool, but I have never understood – the rationality behind that because the last thing that I – Want to do is not know what I'm looking at. So, you're it's always say spines are a foreign language to people that don't understand what they're looking at. A strong reader who's read a lot can look at a bunch of spines and kind of know what they're looking at. You can kind of tell, oh, that might that might be a fantasy book based on the font, or you know, this might be a sci fi, or this might be a literature book or a romance book, or something like that. But kids that don't have years and years of experience don't know what they're looking at, right? This is why books facing out exist. This is why faced out libraries are powerful and, and they put and publishers pay to face out their books at, at Barnes and Noble and stuff like that. It's because it works. So mm-hmm. you in a classroom library, I strongly believe that your uh, library should be. Categorize the way the library at your school is, and that's because if kids are learning the genre of what something is, what types of books are in this genre here. So let's say you call it contemporary for just realistic fiction or something. Then, when they go to the library, they have they already have a grasp of what that is, right? So you you have this transfer. And for me, you know, I just put duct tape on the edges of my books, right? And I use duct tape because it doesn't come off unless you really want it to. And most kids don't have time for that. Um, and they have a lot of colors. People think of duct tape, you just think of that like boring gray, but they have pretty colors. And so you can not only does it help you organize your library by doing that, but you... Uh, you, you teach genre in the process without it being some heavy handed thing where you give like genre quizzes or something like that. It just teaches them over time and i, I so I think the the library cannot be understated in its importance because there's a there's studies somewhere I could probably look them up. Um Donald Miller cites them in their her book with Colby Sharp about book access. But it's the whole the the closer to proximity kids have to books, the more likely they are to read them. So even if you have a robust school library, that's still a barrier. They still have to walk down the hallway. They still have to talk to the librarian. They still have to check stuff out. But if you have a library in your classroom that kids can access as easily as possible um, and be able to navigate it. Uh, I think you're going to see kids not only learn genre but also select books in different genres too.
0: All right. Well, yeah, I remember that hill. I remember that deal.
1: I think that was the first presentation you ever saw me give, too.
0: I think so, and it might have been the last. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't.
1: My career died.
0: I'm just teasing. This guy talks
1: way too much about duct tape. Duct tape.
0: (laughs) Well, I I will say I I can tell you that there are lots of duct tape colors, as there are a lot of subgenres. So you need to get it all ready. No, I I like your idea. The one thing that I don't remember you saying back then, and that was... Uh, organize your library the way your school's library is organized. I, I think I like that. Our, our particular library is organized, uh, for example, you were talking about the sports. Because I had a student the other day, he goes, well, I'm tired of reading these nonfiction sports books. I want something else, but I don't want to go away from football. I still want football. So, you know, so the way our library is organized is she's got the, non-fiction. She's got the fiction on the top. I mean, non-fiction on the top and then right there below it. So like if it's football on that top shelf and it's all non-fiction, all about like, you know, the Cowboys or the uh, Washington, you know, just Washington now. And so all of those things. But if if, if it's about those players, then down below, she has all the, all the fiction that goes with football that she's got. So it'll be fictional pieces and that's where you also find a lot of the jason reynolds books with track so she'll have like uh things about jesse owens and wilma rudolph and all of that on the top and then below that she'll have jason reynolds uh books that involve the the, the students that were doing track you know that kind of thing that, that the runners so she does those kinds of things which is very helpful for me as a teacher but yeah if you could organize your classroom in that same way you put your you know, in the similar manner, then that sure would make it easier for me in my classroom to point that student to a new genre. So, yeah, I like and, that idea.
1: I mean, I don't even remember where I got that initial idea, but I just thought because I was putting stuff in kind of my own genres, and I was like, wait, why not just teach them the language of the library? Right. Because, I, I mean, if you think about it, I really think it's a, a it's a, Uh, A good observation to be like this is a foreign language to a lot of people like Mm -hmm. how is a library like how do you select books when there's nothing but a bunch of spines looking at you right Right. like there's and it's also you know it it goes I feel like that's like almost the step beyond like we talk about like what's what's a right book and you know teachers you know I don't know what the rules are these days but they're like. You know, if you mess up three words on the first page, it's too hard. You know what I mean? It like,
0: oh yeah, yeah. I've I've even used it. Like, open up a page if it's if you can if you can't read five or more, then you probably might want a lesser book for those non-readers because I I don't want them to get in there. And go what? Yeah. So, so there, what
1: there's stuff about. like there's stuff like that, but a lot of the times we just over, we skip over just teaching mm-hmm. what it's like to select books. What does that look like? True. What do you know when we say? You know, not uh, let's use uh, mystery again. A lot of kids go, "I love mystery," but th- a lot of them don't because the mystery genre in books is a little different than like mystery, like TV shows and movies. They're they're not the same. Mystery in its classic form is you know there's cozy mysteries and there's stuff like that. It's very formulaic. There's very specific. Things that go into mystery stories. Now, if they like a story that's mysterious, now that opens up to all kinds of genres. True. But they might not know that necessarily. So it it really helps to be like to to know that when you ask kids, you know, what do you like? Well, I like I like scary stuff. Well, okay. So what does that mean? Do you like suspense? Do you like monsters? Do you like uh, right? You know what I mean? There's all kinds of ways that stuff can be bent and. When you have a a genre fry a genre fied library, uh it it just helps when you help kids navigate it over time, like they just start being able to do it themselves. And I, I see that every year. Like even this year, you know, we had some restrictions towards the beginning of the year, restrictions have kind of laxed a little bit on the library, but like, you know, they they explore differently. And then when I notice a genre isn't being picked as much, I'll rearrange my library a little bit and I'll put it a little higher, so I'll just kind of flip everything to see if that'll help. Or it's also good you see a lot of tape and you see the books that are get selected the most or what you need more of. Like right now, my suspense thriller genre is doing horrible. I have like 15 books left. I don't know what happened to it, but I'm like, oh, I just I was looking at it today and I was like, oh, I gotta buy more books there because. I just haven't done it yet, but it's stuff like that. Like this, this, this process is is extremely helpful. I think, and I think mm-hmm. it, it 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 leads to kids reading in different genres.
0: Well, um, I think you're right. The the other thing I was seeing, you know, when I a while back, a few years ago, a long time ago, actually, uh, you know, we had that Dewey Decimal System library, but our particular library where I was at, their fiction was all in the middle, and it was all one big just fiction it just said fiction that was it and all the nonfiction was on the outside of the of the walls and so I wanted the students we were trying to study the sub genres at that time and so what I did is I taught them and I think a librarian taught me this but what I taught them was how to use the versa so, so getting the kids to just know about the parts of the book. I mean, I actually do a lesson on what are the parts of the book. You're talking about the spine. What kind of information can you find on the spine? And even though they've been going to the library since they were in first grade, right, they still, there's so much that they don't know. And so I will, like, right behind the cover page in a book is the Versa. And, of course, if you turn... On the back of it, that's where we get all of our information for when we have to do research inside the book. But there's also a little uh, portion down below, which I know most of our readers already know this, but I actually teach the students this. And that's if it's been cataloged in the Library Book of Congress, it'll have a summary and it'll tell you. The tags and stuff to look it up, so it'll tell you if it's fiction, science fiction, historical fiction. It'll give you a little summary. So sometimes I'll, when a student's selecting a book, I'll let them know, and then I'll, I'll about that. And then if they're reading that, and I'm like, look, if it's the same type of genre you've been looking for, and you need, and I've asked you to expand, then um, you know that way you'll know that you are expanding. So not every book has it, but many of them, most of them do. So that's something that I've, I've learned to do with the kids and it helps.
1: You know, one of you know, it's funny. You taught me about the verse. I didn't even know that that's what it was called.
0: <laughs> I was
1: like, I was like, what? I don't I'm think like, I oh. did either. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things, but you know, another thing that, uh, you know, Donalyn Miller, she talks about in the book, whisper and reading in the wild and stuff. And, you know, Linda reef talks about this. Uh, is, you know, kids kind of tracking the books they complete over the year Mm -hmm. and, and just jotting down, you know, nothing crazy, no reading log or anything like that, but just having kids write down, you know, I read this, the genre, and then they can kind of see patterns of what they're doing. So, you know, if they've read seven books and they're all, uh, you know, romance or whatever maybe it's time to step out a little bit. Let, let's branch out, um, on book eight or whatever. And you know, maybe you've read seven graphic novels or 10 graphic novels or 20 graphic novels. Uh, you know, okay, sweet. So what's your favorite one? Okay. Why'd you like that? Okay. So let, let's, let's just branch out a little bit. Let's try something else. And having that list is a good check for you as a teacher too. Cause over, you know, this isn't a list that you check every week, you know, it's like right. monthly, maybe at the fastest, but, you know, maybe just every uh, grading period, just be able to check in on a student, check out what they're reading, um, if they're enjoying it, and then see where you can kind of guide them. And again, I do want to stress for people listening is this isn't uh, something's better than the other. It's readers should have diverse diets and really education wise, we should be well i i feel like it's our job to be like hey like you don't need to fall in love with every genre but you need to at least experience it right you need to know mm-hmm. the world out there like if you grow up and you become an adult and all you want to read is harlequin romances over and over again and read five of them a week like you can do that but there's 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 value in knowing uh, different genres, what they do, why they do it, and just having those options. I feel like it's malpractice to not uh encourage them to at least step out a little bit.
0: So how do you have them reflect on those books when they when they do that? So they look at how many they've read over the time. Do you do anything else with it once they've – I mean, I know you said you don't really do a reading log, but I have a lot you know, of teachers over the years that really – uh, they die on that hill of the reading log, you know, and have it signed by the parents and all that. So how do yeah. you, other than that one list, do you have accountability for the readers, you know, for the kids? I mean,
1: here here's the thing. I walk around so often and take so many notes. Accountability just happens. Like I'm not really, I, yeah. I, hang on. I, this You're about to put me on a soapbox because you I have, <laughs> so, well, here's the thing. I have uh-huh. been, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast or not. I'm reading a book called the death and life of the great American school system. And it's literally about the rise of hyper accountability, standardization, uh, leading into the steps and the pieces that kind of played into the A through F system nationally, um, played into, uh, No Child Left Behind, and then uh, Rise to the Top from Obama and everything else like that. All of these policies that we're all living with. So it details all of this. And this idea of hyper-accountability from the government, you know, right? Teachers obviously won't teach unless there's tons of accountability in place. Sarcasm, sarcasm. Push there uh, <laughs> But It's just in case that didn't come across In the microphone My But th- th- It trickles down Into Teachers Being so scared Just to let Kids kind of read Without accountability Right And I, I might be Burning mm-hmm. some bastions here Right Some Some effigies Of the reading world But I just don't care That much You know what I mean Like I don't I'm talking with them Every day I'm walking around, I'm reading with them, I'm encouraging them. I'm I'm trying to make reading as low stakes as possible so it's not just another school thing. Because what's my main goal? My main goal is to have them have reading lives. And I just, you know coercing them into reading by force, either by grades or filling in a reading log or being quote unquote accountable. You know, teachers, when we talk about reading conferences, for instance, you know, it's always like, well, how do you confer about a, uh, about a book you haven't read? Ask them about it. Talk to them. Like it's, (laughs) you know, there's value in being able to talk about a book that you've both read. The conversation can definitely go deeper, but we're so concerned with accountability and proving whether a kid has done the work or not, you know they're doing it if you're walking around and reading with them. If kids, you know what the right pace is like. You know how quick kids should be making their way through books. And here's the thing. If you have a low-stakes reading life with your students and don't make it something punishable, they'll freaking tell you when they stopped reading and be done with it. <laughs> I have I have kids do it all the time. I had a kid mm-hmm. who just straight up told me, Chastain, I hate this book. Why did you hand it to me? I'm like, I don't know. Let's find you a different one. But like if it was a punishable thing that kid might stare at that book for the next 5 weeks just so they can be quote unquote accountable to me and get their 100 in the grade book but i just i don't know like i just feel like i have th- the amount of value i get from not pushing this accountability obsession i feel like i get more accountability out of them because they come to respect the process of reading What they like reading what they want and then they respect me when I encourage them to move outside of the box because they know i'm not going to punish them if a kid doesn't like the book they don't like the book if they Aren't feeling something then they're not feeling it and there's no Repercussions, you know what I mean? Like i don't know am I off base here? Am I being too Anti-accountable am I am I hurting children by not hyper being hyper (laughs) vigilant on on their reading lives at every aspect?
0: Well, it sounds like to me on, um, you know, we talked about, um, I guess if you, you know, I had my evaluation, which actually the result of that turned out to be pretty good. She was like, they told me I had to make a suggestion, but I had a hard time making the suggestion because it was like really good. So I felt good about that. And one of her comments was, you use their own books to create your lesson. And every one of them was reading a different book, but you were able to bring it and do the lesson. Now the lesson was a grammar lesson, but I still they I got the I got the material from their books. Like they gave me the sentences right, that right. fit the the criterion. But anyway, I, I don't know where I was going with that because I lost my my train of thought. However, I, I was thinking that. It's your question when you were talking, oh, I know where I was going with that, you're, you're building a community. you know So your accountability becomes a community. The community is that accountability, but it's a safe environment. So that's where I was going with the, with the evaluation is on that evaluation, does she have a safe environment, right? And so one of the things she said was the students felt safe to share. From their books, everybody shared, and so because they're willing to share and read out loud on their own to all of us, I think that shows that there's a community, and that's what she was saying. So, to me, I think the accountability is is using those books. And then my next thought was going back to something that you mentioned earlier, and that was, um, do you have to read the books in order to conference with them? And I was thinking. It has to do with the questions that you ask the students. Are your questions broad yet narrow? Broad enough to, to take in the scope of so many different books, but yet narrow enough to meet the standard that you're trying to reach. And I think thinking about those questions when you're talking to the students or having a group discussion, I think is is something to consider when you're wanting well, to talk to those the students.
1: And I even think that there's value in letting them be the expert. I mean, we have this idea that the teacher always has to be the expert in all of these books and we don't like it's right. if, if our, like we talk about kids wanting, having them own their reading lives, right? Own the learning, own their education, you know, insert whatever you want. Having kids, I love it when a kid reads a book that like, I buy books all the time. I don't read every single one of them. I have a kid, I'll hand it to him, and, you know, I'll, be like, I'll read the synopsis a few pages. I kind of know how it feels like. I'll recommend it to a kid. They get hyper into it. And I'm like, sweet, I haven't read it yet. I want to talk about that definitely as you're going and when you're done. They finish mm-hmm. the book. I sit with them and I go, sweet. So tell me, like, find, like, open the book to show. I want you to show me, like, a really great part that you read over the last, like, week or so. So they get to open it. They get to show me. I get to listen to their comprehension, listen to how they're processing story. I get to do that. That's, that's teacher skill, right? Mm-hmm. That's taking... I have no idea what this book is talking about, but because it's low stakes, there's no reason to lie to me because I'm not going to punish them if they can't answer my question, Um, there, there's no reason to kind of fudge the answers. And if they're really enjoying it, they want to share and they want to be the expert. And then I'm like, dang, I need to read that. And so I'll grab it. But while they're doing that at this conference, kid next to them goes, oh, that sounds good. And then they grab the book, right? So it, you, it's this process, this, it almost seems so obvious. It's like, why on earth do we spend so much time trying to create all of these accountability measures when you become accountable to the process not because of coercion and and fear of punishment. You become involved and a part of it because you want to be. And I think that is infinitely more powerful. I I would argue any day that the the kids in my room are dedicated – To this reading process and and the writing process because of this far more than a teacher that say punishes a kid if they maybe only read a page that day or forces them to track their pages read every single day or gets mad if a kid like you know like I had a kid like she put down her head today when she was reading why she had a headache. There's so many teachers that would be angry about that and punish this kid, right? Because something like happened. Or I have kids where there's reading stamina is not up uh, to snuff. So if we do a longer reading day, they might have to stop a few times or they might you know, have to kind of debrief or do something, kind of reset their brain. And that's like that, that safety though, once you create that safetiness, like the accountability just happens, right? I can go to all of them. I can tell you what all of my kids are reading. I can tell you about where they are. And I just, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I just, i, I we can get lost in this conversation of accountability all day, but I think it's misplaced if you're trying to create this reading community, which I think, uh, I don't know. I just think it's powerful.
0: Well, I think um, to me, you were talking about the accountability still. And I remember, and it might've been, did you take the reading abados with me? Is that when you didn't do the writing with me, right? You did the reading? Yeah, I did the reading. Yeah. And I think then we had several from another campus that was there, not your campus, but another campus. And their mm-hmm. principal was pushing for the students not to—I mean, for the teachers not to have the students uh, sit and read silently. Sustain. Yeah, I remember that. I remember really having conversations. That. You remember that conversation? Yeah, yeah. So I think sometimes they were like, "What do we do?" Because you're telling us we need to do this, but our principal's telling us it's not okay to do this. And then I go and do a walkthrough. This is before you came to the campus I was at. And the principal that wasn't there when you were there, in other words, he had already left. It was a different principal, was like, Pam, can you tell me why they're always reading and reading? And it's like, well, I don't know. Can you tell me why they're doing math and math? I just, I'm not understanding it. (laughs) And he's like, all right, touche. But I just don't understand. Reading is just so simple. And I said, well, to you, it is because you're brilliant. But maybe, you know, but you, you had to learn it somewhere, somehow. And the only way you get better is by reading. But I think sometimes our teachers feel pressure because they don't have a voice at times, you know, to do that reading because they're told. well, what are you doing about this? How much, you know, you need to have documentation. You need to have this. Where's your, where's your reading record? Where's your, you know. So I think sometimes in that situation, that person had read, that. that principal had read that uh, silent sustained reading was not moving the kids forward in their reading ability because this teachers aren't teaching the skills. And I guess there was some kind of research that she had read, but uh, the teachers felt like that was not helping their kids that they did better. So they were sneak reading. Like they were actually from after talking to them again, and this was after the thing was over, but I did a check and they were like, uh, you know really having like stakeouts okay today's a reading day let's make sure they're all in a meeting and that was when they would choose their reading so they knew they wouldn't be be looked at so i think i think sometimes it's it's hard uh when your leadership isn't on board with you so i think for sure you need to make sure you know what your leaders are expecting
1: yeah i mean i, I had know, just a thought. I, i've had conversations with my academic coach at the time who was like You know, maybe you shouldn't have them read so much. (laughs)
0: Like like, what? Even academic coaches. (laughs) It's so.
1: I mean, it's so counterintuitive. Like, you know, if if people are like that, you know what I did though for teachers that might be listening to this and be nodding and be like, yes, that's my problem. Um, The way I got around that was I went and did the research I went you know I, I all these books that talk about this you know the book whisper and read aside and reading in the wild and stuff by Linda Reef I mean all of these guys they all cite mm-hmm. these pieces of research that show why this stuff works. I went and I went and found all of those and I made a document. And anytime someone said this didn't work, I sent them the document and I said, please read all of this research and then come back to me because they're wrong. They're wrong. Like it's not even a debate. It's, it's counterintuitive to say that, Less reading will make better readers now, and I think what they what people mean by this is the academic stuff is that that the they need to be doing more academic reading they need to be reading to answer inferencing questions and characterization questions and all of this other stuff and yeah they need they they need to do that they if they're in a place where they have to take standardized tests, they need to have those skill sets. however, the way we create. I was talking to my team about this today. I was like, the fundamental philosophy that I think is driving our success in our campus right now is that we all, even though some of us have different uh, approaches to the classroom, we all are starting from a place of get them to love reading and writing first, then move them. It's it's the Uh, – I agree.
0: That's 100%.
1: Yes. The hook, right? It's Mm -hmm. the, you're not going to make a non-reader read more and do better on reading tests. You know, if you, like talking to admin, they're like, well, we need our reading scores higher. Okay, sweet. Give me time to get them to like reading first. Otherwise this is going to be an uphill battle for the rest of the year. And and they're going to hate it even more. Mm -hmm. Uh, Test prep, is not to be confused with practice. Test prep is test prep. Practice is picking up a book and reading and and then having uh, an an educated teacher in the room to guide them to the next level and guide them to the next step and do all of those things. But it doesn't happen um, without first, at least liking it. So I have a story um, and this will probably be somewhat of a capstone to this. This is what happens when we record on a, on a weeknight. You just can't go for the hour and a half, right? But um, <laughs> the So I have this student who just finished this long book called Grown. Very good book. She just finished it. This girl, every time I said we were going to read, groaned every single day. She hated reading. She was like, can I just write? No, we got to read. She's like, Chastain, I hate reading. Every Mm -hmm. book I gave her, she hated it, right? Eventually, I got her hooked on one. She was like, okay, that one is good, but all these other books suck. And I was like, sweet. So eventually, I got her hooked on this other one. She's been reading it. She read this 500-page book in about four weeks or so. We just had that ice storm, so give that week too. But um, she just finished it. And she goes, man. And then we talked about it a little bit, and I sat with her, and we talked it over. And then she looked over to her friend across the room. She goes, you need to read this. And the girl goes, this book's too long. She goes, no, trust me. It's good. So she hands the book off, and then she goes back to her computer, and she goes, Chastain, I need to buy these books. And they're the sequels to those. And I go, guess what? I got them right here. So I went and pulled them, (laughs) and I said, pick. I was like, I just had another kid finish this one the other day, uh, allegedly, uh, is this book. And that book's amazing. But I gave it to her, and I was like, look, this one, I think you should read this one. It's pretty dope. And then so she picked it up. And so this girl who hated reading, now imagine – if I would have force fed her a novel of six weeks that we all read at a snail's pace, and then I made her track every piece of her reading and I made her feel bad for not liking to read, but rather I just took time, you know, I, I let her flounder and I let her complain, but all the while I was like talking to her and then slowly supplying books. That was it. And then eventually mm-hmm. one clicks and then now it's done. And I told her today, I was like, well, we, we got, Two, six weeks left uh, to get as many books as your lap because you're not going to have Chastain as your teacher next year and you're not going (laughs) to read as much. And she goes, yeah, that's probably true. But I was like, it's okay. We'll be in the same building. I'll find you and I'll keep handing you books. That way you keep reading. But that (laughs) was that process right there. That process of taking a non-reader and liking reading doesn't happen by making kids feel bad for not reading. Right. Or worksheets. Or worksheets. (laughs) do you have do you have a closing comment miss ochoa
0: no i just think uh on the genre thing i just think we need to expand our students give them as many opportunities as possible and i think your story uh really is like you said the capstone to why we need to do it
1: and that's it for this episode of craft and draft ladies and gentlemen I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We're recording this on a Wednesday night. Rare that we push off. We usually record on a Saturday night. Those of you who follow me on Instagram, I always post that we're recording. Hopefully, you guys enjoy it. We've been getting a lot more messages from you guys enjoying the show. Appreciate it. If you do like the episodes, review it, hit that star button. I know, look, you're listening to me right now. You hear me say it every day. You hear me go. Hit that star button if you enjoy this. Hit the star button. Just click it. It really does help. It helps out the show. Share it with your team. Get these conversations going. If you have an administrator or an academic coach that doesn't believe in independent reading, show them the research. They are wrong. Educate them. Bring them to the promised land. Don't be mean about it. Be persuasive about it. Bring them into this because they'll love it too. You know what happens when my administration is angry at their lives and they're dealing with all kinds of buttholes happening in the school? They come into my room and they read during reading time. Because everyone (laughs) loves reading time It's insane to say they don't So have fun reading Get it done Let's explore the world And we'll be back next Friday With another episode of Craft and Draft But until then Know that we are here for you